that painting was really inspired by this texture on a tree that I had painted from observation, plein air style. And so then I was like, well, like what happens if that becomes flesh color, like fleshy, like pinks and reds and peachy colors. And so that kind of created that thick kind of texture you see that looks like skin. But then I'd also been thinking a lot about like growth and like sense of growth can be very positive and beautiful, but like disgusting things also grow like mold and also destructive things like fire grow and they just grow from that destruction. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to play with conceptually. So that piece was kind of about like this raw, almost meat-like stuff and there's kind of these moldy colors coming in and it's like this growth and it's like, is it this positive growth? Like what, what is happening? Welcome to the Cedar Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 276th episode, I'm joined by Hannah Lindo, who I spoke with from Kansas. And specifically, she's currently completing her MFA in painting and drawing at the University of Kansas at Lawrence. So very excited to feature her on this episode. Hannah was one of our 2021 student competition winners selected by Kendra Balgren of James May Gallery last year, so especially excited to feature her work. And as always, we break down her background, her past, her interest in the arts, how she evolved as a painter, working from observation and creating these narrative-based figurative paintings that eventually led to her current work, which has elements of flesh as well as landscape in the figure we talk all about how all of these things come together sometimes in really really large paintings so very excited to have her on this episode and of course i recommend following her on instagram that's hannah lindo art and of course checking out her website hannahlindoart.com just a note to new listeners, we've got a big archive of episodes on studiobreak.com. You can go there, check out a variety of different artwork, and of course, you can look right there or click those links to find out more about the artists and their websites. You can listen to the interviews right there on studiobreak.com or subscribe to the podcast, and that way you've always got something to listen to, keep your mind going while you're working away in the studio. We are on social media, so be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And there we go. Short and sweet announcements. Let's get right into this interview with Hannah Lindo. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Hannah Lindo, how are you doing today? Doing good. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely excited to have you. You were one of our MFA competition winners uh, from last year. Our juror was Kendra Balgren of James May Gallery, who is super awesome. So really excited that she picked your work and, and excited to talk to you all about it this morning. So thanks again. Yeah, thank you. I believe you're in Kansas City. Is that right? Yeah, Kansas City area. So I'm going to the University of Kansas, which is in uh, Lawrence, Kansas. But it's like 40 minutes from Kansas City. Right on. And obviously, yeah. I think you're in the process of, uh, you know, getting all your paintings ready for your big thesis exhibition. So we're catching you at a really interesting time. Yeah. Are you from the, the Kansas City area then? or? Yeah, I grew up in Kansas, but um, on the other side of the state in Garden City, Kansas. So a very small town. It's kind of crazy how different like both sides of Kansas are. Mm -hmm. It's very flat and dry. And then I came over here and I'm like, this is Kansas. Like there's so many trees and it's kind of hilly and green. And so it, it's, it feels like a different state in a way, but. So in terms of like where you grew up, I mean, were you always kind of, you know, somebody that was interested in making things and, and that was something that was always, you know, in your head or, you know, athlete or, <laughs> you know, maths. I don't know. Yeah. There's so many different ways people come to this, right? Yeah. So I grew up feeling always very creative. Um, I actually have a twin who's also very artistic and he always was drawing and painting. And I kind of was like, well, that's his thing. So I was more interested in like fashion and like accessorizing things and just making things look good. And then kind of when I got into high school, I took some like ceramic classes and hand building and kind of was introduced to art in that way. Mm -hmm. And then I think my senior year, I finally took a drawing class and that's when things kind of really clicked and I was like, okay, this is what like, this makes sense. I want to do this more. I couldn't get enough. 
interesting you know usually there's like some sort of like illustration element but yeah so i'm thinking of the periphery things that you draw on the uh, exterior edges of your pages or something like that so maybe not drawing focused but more kind of like fashion focused yeah it definitely was for a long time like I don't know. I think I was maybe I didn't realize, but I was so interested in the body and how things like just forming the body mm-hmm. and figurative work that I thought fashion was the answer. And I was like, eh. I kind of got away from it. It felt kind of shallow in a way. Well, it's interesting to me because, you know, as, a, as somebody that teaches now, I have a lot of students that are really interested in animation and character design mm-hmm. and things like that. So, you know, I'm especially curious on that regards because I'm just like, oh, you know, like, how are things different or even with the tools and technology, because so many of my students too are like, you know, pros with like using a stylus and and drawing digitally as opposed to drawing like Mm -hmm. traditional. Was it something that again, kind of came much later, like you were talking about when you started taking, you know, some art classes in high school? Yeah. So I never really got too digital with it. Like I had a procreate on my iPad, but like nothing beats the actual touch of charcoal on Mm -hmm. paper for me. I'm like, oh, I can't really, I'm not very tech savvy. Mm -hmm. So it was never really too much about that taking those drawing classes and like just kind of learning how to feel what I was seeing on the paper instead of like feeling it through clay or through like draping on an actual form Mm -hmm. that kind of connection over to the 2d just felt so good so having a a sibling that's you know, in the arts, I would imagine that your parents were pretty, pretty supportive of that. Or were they kind of like, I don't know about this, do something practical? Yeah, I kind of like my mom really wanted me to be a pharmacist for a long time. Okay. And I even worked in a pharmacy. But like, oh, that just would not have been a good outcome. I just don't have the memory mm-hmm. for that. She, I think, understood. She's like, no, yeah, you are much happier doing something creative. And like, you need to be making things. And so she's always been really supportive. Well, that's cool. And and again, I yeah. say that because, I mean, again, it's it seems like every artist has that story, you know, relative to like people kind of going like, is this a good thing that you're doing this? I don't know. Yeah. In terms of some of these like drawing classes, then were you kind of like then starting to kind of explore more observational work or kind of like more illustrative work as opposed to thinking about more like fashion? Once I started drawing, it was more about like observational drawings, learning just how to draw from something right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And fashion kind of just like kind of stopped I really like interested in the figure and like I became obsessed with portraits and like I deemed it as like the hardest thing to accomplish in my mind so it's like okay I have to get good at this like I need to be doing a lot of portrait drawings and but it's so interesting to think about how like you know just one experience can kind of shift something in your mind you know like where you're like wow this is something that I didn't think about is that something that you kind of then were like oh you know maybe like I could pursue this did you have it like teachers that were like oh you could study fine art Yeah, definitely. I had great instructors. I was kind of fortunate that my high school, we got a brand new high school my senior year. And so all the art rooms were like fully stocked with like really good equipment. And we had the space to actually work. And it kind of like we created a relationship. There's a community college in town. And so I got to meet the instructors through them. And it was like, well, you know, like if you come here and you are an art student, we can fully fund you and you can pretty much come to school and get paid to be an art student. I'm like, okay, like I'll do that. I don't know what I'm doing. So an art's always felt good. So that kind of is definitely those instructors that are like, yeah, no, you, you can do something like in art. I mean, growing up in kind of a small town, it's not really an option or it's not really presented to you that you can. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, oh, stop playing around, <laughs> like go get a real job. But they were really great in showing it's like, no, there's options and you can do that. You know, as someone that teaches at, you know, community colleges, it's really amazing, mm-hmm. like the resources that you have that maybe you didn't yeah. think about, you know, or some people don't kind of consider because, you know, you've got all of these, you know, professional artists that, you know, are going to have a totally different perspective. So I would imagine that was kind of nice in terms of kind of building up some experience and, and working with some people there. And was it mostly then kind of like, again, just kind of like really you know, mastering different techniques and and kind of, you know, learning what you could from those instructors? Yeah, definitely. Like going in, like starting college there was very drawing based, very heavy in drawing. And then I kind of started going to printmaking and I thought, okay, maybe I'll be a printmaker because drawing is the base of it. And I love to draw. Mm -hmm. And then one of the professors that I went to my undergrad at Fort Hayes State actually came and demoed. Um, And he was doing portraits from life of students in the class. And it just like blew me away. And like, color is just such a like beast to really learn and tackle Mm -hmm. and he was doing it so effortlessly and I'm like oh I want to do that like I need to take your class I need to learn about color and oil paint and so then that really 
kind of started me on this like path of like being in love with oil paint and trying to figure out everything I can do with it. Yeah. Well, again, that's super exciting to, you know, think about these options. Like I said, I mean, there's this kind of like big world that you don't necessarily know anything about. People try to guide you through it and then you kind of have to figure it out, you know, Mm -hmm. and and take what you can. So kind of meeting folks that are going to help you through that is super exciting. Yeah. And imagine, again, you're kind of like learning all these different materials and, and thinking about color. Is that something then that you kind of like developed a portfolio then so that you could, you know, move on then to, to where you, you know, earned your uh, BFA, if I'm not mistaken? After getting my BFA, it was, I took like a year to just really build work to apply to grad school with. And it was kind of learning all those different techniques and like focusing on color and portraiture and still very representational then you know in terms of like subjects and and things like that were you kind of like then using you know yourself as you know self-portrait material were you painting people that were around you you know how are you kind of contextualizing what it is that you wanted to do when you're a bfa student or was it just purely like formal like you know i'm just painting the figure you know models things like that I definitely did a lot of self-portrait work because, like, we didn't have a figure painting class mm-hmm. in Hayes. It was kind of strange. So I would use myself a lot and, like, friends in the studio. I would have them pose and take photos. But, yeah, it became a lot of, like, self-portrait work came from that. And, again, painting from observation of, like, still lies, but then trying to kind of mesh that in with, like, these ideas or these weird spaces I was thinking about. So kind of taking some from observation and then some inspiration from, like, memory or just kind of a feeling I had of a space and trying to incorporate that in with a figure mm-hmm. or a portrait. That kind of became a lot about the work in my undergrad. Well, so it's so interesting to think about, you know, the evolution of artists, right? You know, and that's something that mm-hmm. we've even briefly kind of talked about. So in terms of some of these, you know, paintings that maybe you're ending that experience with, you know, you were you were mentioning uh, previously um, some of these ones where maybe there's kind of sunburns or, you know, variations of flesh tones. And I'm assuming these are all like mm-hmm. friends in these kind of, you know, interesting and kind of environments. But I don't know, maybe for example, there's one called Burnt Out. Is that, is that yourself or is that somebody that, that is posed for you or... Yeah, so that one is a friend who posed for it, and I would bring them to my bedroom and, like, put makeup on them to make them look really sunburnt, Mm -hmm. and then photograph them, and then, like, the environment was completely made up kind of from memory or just, like, an idea that I had, but the main focus was really that, like, flesh and the skin and trying to kind of get this sunburnt but glowing, so it's kind of this play on, like, something that's peeling and kind of painful and gross but it's also kind of this beautiful like play on color it's kind of glimmering in the light mm-hmm. those sunburnt paintings were kind of a big step in my undergrad of like seeing my hand in the paint like I wasn't blending things away like they're very tiny it's very kind of hard to see they're still just a mark almost pointillism in a way mm-hmm. of this like flesh kind of being burnt and glistening and that was just a really cool thing to see in my work change. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, everybody should check this out. I mean, there's plenty of work, hannahlindoart.com, and you can see some of these archive paintings. But that's something that's really interesting to me is, too, that kind of like tactile quality that you're kind of describing. Because I get the impression that, like, you could make everything very, very slick, you know? Mm-hmm. But there's something really nice about the marks and, and the way that they relate to even some of the environments that you're kind of describing, like, you know, in that painting burnt out, you know, the background has all of these kind of textures and, and things moving through there. But that's also kind of like echoed and like, you know, the shoulder or the face or, you know, the way that yeah. those other flesh tones are kind of working. And again, something that very much carries over to the to the current work. But it's interesting to think about those, you know, kind of like starting from a photograph that, again, is then kind of worked through with almost like an improv improvisation too in terms of thinking the background were there any like color strategies or you know ideas in mind or was that something where you kind of like react as you're starting to work through the figure I think I was definitely thinking about like a complementary kind of color palette so there's a lot of like blue skies or blue backgrounds with these orangey red skin tones I think I also found that like Indian yellow at that time and became just obsessed with like the glowing quality of it Mm -hmm. so it's like okay how do I use this everywhere Sure, sure. And it mm-hmm. seems like that, again, that idea of, you know, thinking about 
figures in environments or landscapes, you know, certainly something that kind of carries through. It's just in such a different evolved way in terms of where you're at now. But I like thinking about those ideas just because like I was saying to you earlier, it seems like there's always some sort of cyclical quality. You know, you can look back on things that are pretty old and think about how they relate to, you know, current stuff. And I guess, you know, to kind of describe that, you know, like final experience there, you know, in terms of like your senior thesis, was it these kind of like burnt out paintings or were they um, something else or? So we ended up having a group show with all the like the graduating seniors of that mm-hmm. class. And I think I remember I was making these paintings on surfaces that were like building out. So it'd kind of be this curved panel to really kind of play with the illusion of space. Cause mm-hmm. I got really interested in that as well. I know I had like four or five paintings in the show. But it was really just these spaces I was interested in creating. And then it was kind of centered around a figure mm-hmm. like in that environment. And to think about that, too, I mean, you know, you kind of obviously working from the figure or doing portraits, you're working from something that's observed. Was that something that mm-hmm. was interesting to you, too? Or did you, you know, like look at any like landscape painters to do any landscape painting or paint environments at all? Or Yeah. So I used to think, oh, like, oh no, I don't. I don't want to be a landscape painter. Like mm-hmm. it's portrait figurative work for me. And then Hayes is pretty close to a town called Lindsberg where a painter, oh, I'm forgetting his name, but he had his studio there and he did a bunch of landscapes, thick landscape paintings. And I saw that and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like I could maybe do a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Or try to incorporate even just the brushwork or the thickness of his paint. Usually there's some artist in undergrad, especially as you're, you know, studying art history and kind of, you know, getting all these recommendations, somebody that you start seeing where you're like, oh, wow, I didn't, didn't realize like painting could be like this or art could be like this. Mm-hmm. Were there artists that you were kind of looking at that were kind of influencing any of your work or, you know, making you think about that relationship between the figure and these environments? Yeah. So I think like, Jenny Seville is a huge inspiration for me. Like, one, she just is such a strong painter. Like, her work is so fierce and, like, vulnerable and kind of, like, gruesome in a way. It's just amazing work to me. And it's, again, focusing on the figure and the fleshiness of the figure. Mm -hmm. But then you kind of, like, zoom in on those marks and they kind of become atmospheric. Like, they're these huge brush marks and... Even I think I read an interview that she had done, like seeing how she was painting so largely and she was just so unafraid when she painted. I'm like, oh, that's so like admirable. And I want to do that. Like I want that kind of strength in the studio mm-hmm. while making and then to also show up in the work. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's interesting to think about that, you know, relative again to those cyclical kind of things. You know, there's artists that you come back mm-hmm. to and I can definitely think about that, like layering that texture yeah, or ways that like parts of the forms will kind of like dissolve, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. like the current work. And I think that's something that, you know, you could definitely think about through kind of like your whole trajectory. So that's super interesting. Yeah. So what happened after that? I feel like there's, you know, this all this kind of push and you're like, yeah, I'm making all this great work. And then you're like, you know, working at blockbuster video that doesn't exist anymore. Let me think of another mm-hmm. one. You know, I didn't work there. I worked at Hobby Lobby as a framer, but oh, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, I got to like apply to graduate school. Mm-hmm. I did terrible and got into like hardly anything. It seems like my first round. So I'm like, I'm taking yeah. some time off, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to mm-hmm. think this over and, and make some paintings. But what was it like for you? Yeah. So after graduating, it was kind of strange. It's like I had a studio space. I had people to paint with. And then I graduated and I was so broke. Like I couldn't even really apply to grad school just from the fees. So I took maybe like a year and a half or almost two years off. And I was a house painter for a while, which was the worst job for me. Like, (laughs) oh, can't do that. And then I started working retail and then it was just really that drive that's like, I need a space to work. Like, I need to paint. I can't keep painting in my bedroom. This isn't safe. Mm-hmm. And so I started applying around. And yeah, the University of Kansas, like, I had visited there. They had a print week conference. And it just, like, blew me away, like, the space they had in comparison. Like, each kind of space, starting at the community college, going to Fort Hay State. Like, it just kept growing. And the rooms got bigger and the faculty was expanding and it's like wow this is so exciting that like I didn't know this was possible so I was pretty set that I wanted to go there at first I didn't get in I was waitlisted but then about a month or two later I found out I did get in and that was so like relieving it's like okay like I can finally just have a space to go and paint and that was pretty much like 
my biggest goal going into grad school and like mm-hmm. thinking back now, I was like, oh, I probably should have been thinking about other things like how I was going to be challenged or like, obviously, like, do I want to teach? Do I want a GTA position? But like my main thing was like, I just want a space and like time to paint and going there was great because it's a three year program. So you get plenty of time to work mm-hmm. and we all got our studio space. So. Yeah. And so was that started then in 2020 or 2019 was okay. my first semester? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And like we were kind of talking about it before everything began. I mean, obviously it's been a interesting last couple of years. I guess that's a nice way of saying mm-hmm. it. You know, there's been yeah. <laughs> kind of a lot of struggle for, for so many people. It's been, you know, super strange, but mm-hmm. what was that initial experience like? Cause you were also kind of describing, you know, even maybe relative to, to your trajectory, you know, we were talking about how there's so many different kinds of artists that come from all over. So, you know, you're mingling with them and that certainly kind of changes your perspective a little bit. But what was that initial experience like meeting all these people? Yeah, it was really intimidating. Like I had only lived in really small towns. And so Lawrence isn't huge, but it's definitely the biggest town I've lived in and have never been around this many artists. And so my first year class or like my cohort there's 10 of us and all different ages, all different experience levels. And like just talking with them is like, well, oh yeah, I've lived in other countries for years and I've shown here and I've done this. And so that first semester was just so intimidating. And I felt really like, oh, I shouldn't be here. Like these people actually know what they're doing. Like I just came here to paint a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it was strange. Like it's weird to think back, but that was probably like the hardest semester of it all, like coming in new and so like unsure about everything. Mm-hmm. Not to say like the pandemic semesters have been easy. They've been a struggle as well. But I think it took a while to feel comfortable um, coming here and just to feel like, oh, yeah, I have a space that like I'm deserving of. Yeah, sure. And did you get like on a roll then at the start? You know, you're like doing all these portraits and everything. Again, I'm thinking about back to that time. And as I was saying to you earlier, the past couple of years seem like they kind of blur together. But I Mm -hmm. couldn't imagine just kind of, you know, you start to get your footing and then, you know, we wind up in this situation. But were you kind of, you know, painting the same kind of things evolved or I guess how how did they evolve? That's a better way of uh, wrapping that (laughs) Well, the first semester I started doing pretty much the same work in undergrad. And then second semester, I took a figure painting class and explored portraits. And then I was really pushed of like, do you need the figure? Like stop doing the figure for a while, even stop like oil painting. So I was doing kind of these collages with tissue paper and different like kinds of paper and transparencies. And I was like, okay, this is kind of a good exercise of how to make a mark. And it isn't using paint, something that I felt comfortable with. So that like first semester when the pandemic happened, I don't think I painted much at all besides the class I was in. Mm-hmm. I think back and I'm like, wow, that was a really good thing that happened. Like I hated it in the moment. Like I just <laughs> wanted to paint people. I wanted to be comfortable, but it's like, no, like giving that up for a little bit, like it changed my whole view of it. Well, it makes me think about the layering too in your work you yeah. know, in terms of the way that you would try to work with something like tissue paper, you know, in terms of the way that colors mm-hmm. interact or kind of shift. Yeah. It was definitely weird to like work with that because I didn't have control of the colors either. Like you could like I would just buy packs of tissue paper. It's like, okay, that's the color I have to try to work with what's already existing. So sometimes you could put like varnish on it and it would just become like a little haze of color. And so that was kind of fun to play. And then I would find a construction paper and just random materials like in the school and in my studio. It's like, how do I make this work color wise? And I don't know if I ever did. It was a lot of color, mm-hmm. but it was definitely fun just to see those relationships happen in front of my eyes. And was there something that kind of started steering you back towards uh, feeling like you could paint again, you know, without the <laughs> the overbearing, yeah. like, oh, my gosh, you got to stop painting the figure. You yeah. Know, just do something I- else. <laughs> Yeah. So then like the pandemic happened and luckily we were still allowed to go in our studios, but we had to be more isolated. So I got to work in one of like the big painting labs for a whole summer and like nobody could come see me. And it was kind of heaven. Like I was just in there alone with all of this space and like I could just do whatever I wanted. And I finally felt comfortable and like trusting myself. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, I can paint figures. I could draw figures. I I could paint whatever actually like nobody's there to like really monitor or like say anything. And then Mm -hmm. I think taking that experience from that previous semester of like how to lay down a mark or how to layer marks, like started to shift and show up in the paint. 
which was really exciting. So it was, I don't know, I look back at the time, I'm like, wow, like, it was such a strange and scary time, but I'm really, like, happy I had that time to just experiment and see where work could go. What was the experience like then in terms of, like, also, you know, your other classes, or I think you were kind of mentioning, you know, doing, like, you know, like your art survey classes where you could kind of still then kind of interact with people or? So that fall semester coming back, any kind of academic class was all virtual. So it was all on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Some studio classes were back in person, but it was half the capacity and we were like spread out between three rooms. Like it was good in the sense of like, I don't want to take a studio class or teach a studio class online. Like this is something I just couldn't get past like it needed to be in person like you need that interaction and, and to see things in person uh, what did other people think about what you've been doing you know in, in terms of like when you'd show them or again did were you zooming did you have to like zoom your your classmates then or oh gotcha yeah so for our seminar class it was all yeah it was all on zoom and we would kind of we had to learn how to really document our work well to present it for critiques mm -hmm. which is like a good skill to have but it became really heavy on that and like the presentation became a big deal. So that's kind of what critiques happened. And then like we meet with faculty members also to just discuss our work outside of class. And that was luckily still in person. So you could still see the work together. But then I moved into a new studio space that was a lot larger. And like I could start making these huge paintings that I just wanted to see if I could. Like mm -hmm. I was always um, intrigued by like, well, what does it take to make like an 18 foot painting? And now I had the space to do it. So I think I was just excited to be back in there and create a lot of paintings when we finally came back in person. You know, maybe break down too a little bit like relative to your process in terms of working through things. Cause I think, you know, that's always interesting. And, and especially cause you've talked about drawing, was that something that you were always kind of doing, you know, tangentially with painting? Does that kind of like feed each other in that sense? Yeah, I think so. Like I usually have either like a large charcoal drawing happening on like another wall or like I have a sketchbook around that I just like scribble in. Like I just have that kind of energy to move my hand around and charcoal is just so immediate and kind of forgiving. Like you can erase it back to nothing almost. So I love having that around in my studio while I'm painting. And like they definitely like talk to each other in the studio space you know like mm -hmm. it could kind of go either way I can really sit there and just render the filth out of it and blend everything away or like I can really let my hand just like bounce around and make these crazy marks that like I then try to replicate in the painting mm -hmm. um, so they definitely inform each other yeah that totally makes sense especially you know given the way that you use you know a lot of marks and, and both you know or even just mm -hmm. the way you use erasure in the drawings. Yeah. I think that's something that's really kind of interesting. And even the paintings kind of have that, that sensation of feeling like they're being scrubbed or, you know, kind of worn. Mm -hmm. And that's always, you know, something that's very interesting. Is it always then something where you're kind of like starting from like an initial observation or I'm asking because I don't know, you, you might have a journal of ideas, you know, or, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, observations of like, try to, how to bring some of these things together. I think like a big kind of starting point in like observation is like I go on a lot of walks and I don't let myself usually bring my phone. So I am just really observing nature and like lighting and space and how to create space. And so then I take those kind of memories and I go into the studio and they kind of inform just like the general space of what a painting could be. And mm -hmm. then like right now I'm really stuck in like this kind of fleshy blood like color palette. So I have definitely limited down my color palette, which feels a lot stronger and kind of safer in a way mm -hmm. before it was very colorful like every tube of color I needed to be on the palette and now I've definitely limited myself which has been nice but that's kind of the starting point for a lot of the paintings I'm doing now is like okay this time I've spent in nature but then also I'm inspired by this color palette that's very bodily and fleshy and then like intuition just comes in and like will either kind of lead me back to the idea I had or take it in a completely different way. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because, you know, some of that transition work or work in between, you know, and I guess, you know, maybe one that I would just kind of point out, there's one called hidden five. Oh, mm -hmm. 
And again, yeah. it's a little bit older than maybe the work that we're talking about currently, but you know, you'll still see fragments of, you know, like a face set amongst like foliage yeah. or, you know, there'll be ones like that or, you know, elements of like a figure or something that yeah. kind of alludes to that idea of maybe nature or landscape. And like you're kind of describing, you know, there's definitely a lot more color kind of going on mm-hmm. and then it just slowly kind of starts to, you know, get narrower towards those kind of like flesh-like colors. And was that something that like, maybe there was like a certain stimuli or something like that, or I don't know, like, it's weird. Cause I started thinking about this cause on a beach recently, mm-hmm. you know, like when you're closing your eyes and the sun is extremely bright, you get that really oh, yeah. intense kind of like red orangey kind of color. That's, you know, mm-hmm. super flesh-like. And I almost kind of thought about it like that when I was taking notes, cause there's just this real vibrancy that's that's there even with such a limited color palette. Yeah. Oh, I never thought of it like that. I think like I started to realize like I was always so interested in the figure and painting the figure because, and it sounds kind of gross to say, but it's like, I was excited to paint like where the blood was sitting under the skin, like, like a nice red nose or like the just areas like where you would blush, like started to pop up. Like that was exciting to me to paint. And like, that's why I was so interested, I think, in the figure. And it's like, okay, well, maybe I don't have to depict the figure completely. I can just take those colors that I'm interested in and create these spaces that I'm also, like, excited by. And then see kind of, like, this merge of nature and the body come together. And, like, my older work, like, I remember now, like, my second year was a lot about, like, trying to get the figure to kind of exist in these spaces, but then also be kind of absorbed or emerging from them. Mm-hmm. And it was like kind of that play of like, well, how do I hide it, but still have it be recognizable? So I did a bunch of studies of like hiding a face or a hand like in this pile of leaves or something like that. And then my third year, like this last summer, it was really about, well, maybe like the figure doesn't have to be there so completely. It could just be like kind of the color palette that mm-hmm. I was inspired by. Yeah. And it's interesting because, again, there's such like a landscape almost oriented nature to some of the ones maybe during that transition even where you know you can find those elements but then it becomes this you know very textural kind of like mark making kind of um, I don't know imagined kind of world and I think you kind of described Mm -hmm. the idea of like memories or environments relating to the to the body but again it's really interesting to see that shift away from you know some really bold color contrasting colors mm-hmm. to kind of maybe more slowly subdued ones and i guess one that especially stuck out to me is this painting uh congealed oh yeah which mm-hmm. again I, like you know you kind of talk about the blood underneath the skin to me I, I don't know like this seems like it's almost like a festering wound yeah it's just interesting because it, it's so limited in terms of maybe color but then there's so much going on in terms of you know the way that you're using paint and i don't know maybe maybe talk a little about this one how did how did this one come to be to where it is now yeah so that was one of the first paintings coming back this third year that i started have this hard thing of like throwing away paint that is scraped off of my palette. So I have these boxes of just old scrapes of paint Mm -hmm. and I had created this little sculpture and it's kind of modeled or like I observed it while I was making that composition for that painting. So it's all just pieces of paint layering in there. And one day I'd like turned it and I noticed there's this little pile of pink scrapes that kind of looked like flowers. And I just was really excited about it because it's like, oh, I have this plant that like bloomed flowers that I didn't even know it could do. And so I had to paint it. And I think the color palette is just trying to really limit from using every color that I had been using before. And it's like, okay, well, this is a nice kind of emotive red. It Mm -hmm. says a lot just on its own. I'm like, just create it there and see, maybe you'll want to add some color in. But a lot of that painting is kind of just the underpainting I started with and like the wiping motions that I did with a rag and like I left it and then I got a little tighter in the center of that painting. But yeah, the palette kind of really just spoke to me in the way of like, oh, you can do so much with just one color and like little variations of it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And then that painting also like I started to experiment with the surfaces I was using. So I started to carve into them. Mm-hmm. So that bottom part is like exposed birch wood that I carved into with an old printmaking tool set. And then oh, wow. I started to like glaze color onto it and it kind of made that skin like texture with sores on the bottom. I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. Like, let's see how I could play with surface even more because I was building up paint. But then I'm like, OK, 
I could take it back even further, depending mm-hmm. on the surface and the color of the surface that's underneath. Yeah. And it's interesting too, cause like there's room for the viewer to kind of like start to kind of piece things together or, you know, kind of mm-hmm. leave just like a, enough for them to kind of have an imagination, you know? So I start, you know, looking at areas and going like, Oh, that kind of reminds me of like a, you know, like a bent arm or, Mm -hmm. you know, like the curve of a hip or something like that. And that starts to become something interesting because, you know, I think even some of them are entitled like flesh scapes. Uh So you start thinking about those relating to, you know, the figure, even though it's not as, as literal. And maybe you're seeing that through the, the way that you're using paint and moving paint around. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think that's a great way to put that. And kind of like comparison to maybe some of the other ones where they're, I don't know, maybe different approaches. Maybe talk about, you know, some of the other ones. I mean, like there's one that really stands out to me also called uh, Growth and Decay. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I just, I start seeing this almost like skeletal figure kind of dissolving. Yeah. And maybe it's just simply like the color of it. There's a interesting kind of quality where you kind of almost describe the idea of a figure or kind of like suggest it while not suggesting it. And it kind of becomes more about this, this space or this environment, but maybe talk about that one a little bit. Yeah. So that painting was really inspired by this texture on a tree that I had like painted from observation, like plain air style. And so then I was like, well, like what happens if that becomes flesh color, like fleshy, like pinks and reds and peachy colors. And so that kind of created that thick kind of texture you see that looks like skin. But then I'd also been thinking a lot about like growth and like sense of like growth can be very positive and beautiful, but like disgusting things also grow like mold and also destructive things like fire grow and they just grow from that destruction. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to play with conceptually. So that piece was kind of about like this raw almost meat-like stuff and there's kind of these moldy colors coming in and it's like this growth and it's like is it this positive growth like what what is happening and I just playing around with the idea of growth not always being a positive thing like it could be it could come from something gross or disgusting like mold or fire like just this element that could kind of take away but also provide at the same time again super interesting too because as you're describing it I almost think about like you know, cellular kind of like microscopic kind of like yeah. bacteria or, or things mm-hmm. like that. So I think that's something that adds a, a layer of interest to it. And again, you're being super open in a time where you're, you know, probably being pressured to add more pages to your, you know, your thesis or, mm-hmm. um, or things like that. But are there other things that you're kind of pulling from right now, you know, in terms of, you know, thinking about that, contextualizing your work? And I'm say that because like I said, it's a very maybe bizarre time as you're, you know, closing in on, on your uh, final semester. Like I create these spaces to kind of try to figure out the space I'm living in now. Mm-hmm. There's just so much anxiety and fear happening right now. And like, well, what's going to happen? And I kind of use those spaces to dance around that fear. So nothing is ever really finalized or I don't come in with like a straight idea that I'm going to stick with. It's really kind of building it up and seeing what will happen and kind of just accepting the unknown in everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been a big kind of influence and it's definitely changed the way I've painted and like it's changed how I thought I could paint. Like I never thought I could paint in such like washy layers in some areas and then really build it up like impasto and like thick just mm-hmm. kind of gunky, gross paint, all in the same painting. And and you kind of described earlier too, like, you know, taking remnants or like, I think like discarded paint and kind of like reutilizing that. Mm-hmm. Is that something too, that kind of like lends itself to the way that you paint? I mean, I, I would imagine you've got like 10 of these out and you're jumping back to one that you started a couple of weeks ago because you, you know, start seeing something different or you just want to kind of like build up another area or... I work in a way where I start a painting and then when I don't know quite what I'm doing or what it needs, I start something else. (laughs) And so I just kind of bounce around and like, okay, how can I discover something new? So I really just spend a lot of time experimenting and be like, okay, well, what happens if I do this? And so I take that and then something might come from it. It's like, okay, that solved that painting from like a couple weeks ago. That's what it needed. But yeah, so I just give myself a lot of room to experiment and see what happens and see how it could maybe inform past paintings. I feel like you need time a little bit too, you know, with that experience, you know, like I, 
oddly enough, start writing down notes as, uh, <laughs> during one of my commutes mm-hmm. to teaching, you know, and I started writing down how like being an artist is like being an explorer as opposed to like, you know, solving a math problem. You know, there's not really yeah. like a, a direct way to it. And so I feel oh. like there's just like a certain amount of time that you just kind of have to live with it, make adjustments. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important because I think it kind of really pulls away from that mystique of what artists do, you know, because I think from an outside perspective, somebody just imagines that somebody knows what to do and that's, that's it where, yeah. you know, it's really about that searching. And I, obviously, you know, considering the past couple of years, I think it totally makes sense with that work and, you know, with that idea of kind of these really interesting kind of like environments that you're painting. Another one that really kind of stands out to me is this uh, Worry Grows painting, yeah. which again is maybe getting a slightly larger in scale. I know that you've got a really massive one too, but this is um, what, four feet by four and a half feet, something like that? Yeah, it's like 48 by 54, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's interesting. Maybe talk a little bit too in terms of process. I know we talked a lot about that, but are you kind of like adding elements back into it or? That painting and kind of... The two other paintings around there, I created at the same time. And like, I just had a good kind of week in the studio where those happened pretty quickly. So it would start with like a ground layer of kind of a brownish, kind of burnt sienna color that was acrylic. And then I would come in with these really thin kind of glazy washes that were Mm -hmm. just really experimenting with brush mark and kind of those large, darker sections in the back were just big brush marks from the very beginning that I try to kind of keep like I like to have a sense of how a painting develops like leave areas like from the raw kind of ground to the first layer to the second layer like I like to leave kind of those time layers exposed Mm -hmm. in a painting so it it would start with those like washes and then I would be wiping in with a rag and kind of creating the space And that painting, Worry Grows, was kind of inspired by how leaves were on this one tree outside of the art building. I took a picture of it kind of looking up, and it just made these nice kind of forms. Like if I stopped looking at it as leaves and just as kind of color with these yellow leaves against a blue sky, it was this nice kind of form happening. So that inspired the composition. And then I just really let paint kind of inspire me and like mixing is a really big part of my process so I'll just stand there and mix a while and see what different paints do together and then yeah just slowly build it up I'd also have a point where like I kind of need to destroy something so I'll come in with like oil pastel and mark through things or scrape things off and then try to like re-piece it back together in a new way Mm -hmm. well and I like too how that like fleshy color can again kind of be a stand in for the figure or kind of relate to it without relating to it. You know, you see them as these kind of weird landscapes, but then there's also, again, just like I was talking about previously, you know, these elements that might allude to like a shoulder or, you Mm -hmm. know, something that feels figurative without being figurative. And then obviously, you know, like as I was alluding to a second ago, or maybe a couple of minutes ago, this whatever happens painting pretty massive. How did, how did this one come about? I would imagine you had a, whole lot of time to stretch a massive canvas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was last summer when I was like done with reviews in my program. And it was just like about making work for thesis, but I really had no idea where I wanted to go. Like I still was kind of conflicted between do I go like in the landscape route or do I go figurative? And so this one, I just really let myself kind of explore. I think that one's like 18 feet long. It started off as just like three canvases and I'm like, no, I need, I need more. It needs to be longer. <laughs> like I wanted the viewer to really walk with it and to be searching, but I also didn't want to really give them an answer to what they were searching for. I just wanted them to look and notice. And like that painting is like pretty moody. Like, I don't know if I necessarily want to be in the painting walking in it, but I'm intrigued enough to like look by it. So there's like little pockets of these like really tangled kind of messes of like leaves and just debris happening but then there's also this kind of movement and glowing sensation that kind of mimics fire in a way or I was thinking about it as like a spark so yeah that was just really about the act of searching and kind of accepting the unknown and like whatever happens like happens it'll be fine so it was kind of just like good kind of a good mental prep for my um, mm-hmm. third year to kind of create work for a thesis show. It's like, yeah, you'd be fine. Just 
you'll figure it out eventually. You don't have to have the answers right now. Well, and I think when you commit to something that's that big, you probably have to feel a little bit comfortable, I guess, in the sense of like, oh, you know, like after this, everything is going to be fine, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a weird way, you know? Mm-hmm. Like there's definitely like that comfort in having a large painting. It's like, oh, I know I'm going to spend a lot of time with it. Like it's going to change, but it won't be a massive change in the sense of like creating new pieces back to back. So I liked that kind of comfortableness and like security in a, in a large painting. Yeah. Again, super exciting too, because that kind of glowing quality that you talk about, you know, again, kind of easily relates back to those flesh tones and mm-hmm. some of the other work. And again, it's interesting how all of these kind of feed each other. And I would imagine you're you're pretty excited to to be able to hang all these. What's what's going on with your thesis? Oh. When is when is that happening? Yeah, so my thesis will be up in the university gallery from April 3rd to April 8th, I believe. There's a lot of us graduating, and so our shows are only like about a week long. So mm-hmm. that'll happen. But then I also have a show in Kansas City at the Lady Volkis Art Center for a couple of months this summer. So it'll get to live and be visited a little longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great always to have like deadlines, obviously, right? You know, there's something to kind of work towards. So I would imagine, you know, considering where you're at, you're going to be looking for other opportunities to to share your work and and things like that. But otherwise, I mean, are you just, you know, looking for teaching opportunities, show opportunities, things like that? Yeah, I've been like applying to some residencies and looking for jobs. I don't know if I'm quite ready to like move anywhere yet. So it'd be nice if I could get like a lecturer position somewhere around here. My big goal is to try to find an, another studio space to work because I've just been so spoiled at school to have the space I have. So leaving that completely is going to be a hard transition. So sure, I'm on the sure. outlook for a studio. <laughs> right on. Well, again, you know, it's always interesting to kind of think about, it's kind of scary to go through, but you know, there's, mm-hmm. a, you know, all these possibilities out there. So it's at the same time, very interesting to kind of see what's going to happen. And, and likewise, yeah. I mean, you know, we've been talking, you know, peripherally about, you know, the pandemic and how, you know, difficult that's been for so many people and, you know, all the transitions that people have kind of gone through. But I would imagine, too, that could be something exciting in terms of, you know, big shifts or, you know, the way mm-hmm. that even like you've got like a, you know, a certain color palette. I would imagine if uh, somehow you found yourself, you know, next to the Great Lakes or something, yeah. you know, that's going to dramatically shift the work as well. So it's exciting to think about what's what's coming up. Uh, you know, after you kind of put all this time into this experience. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I can't wait for the day to like, to be able to travel. Mm-hmm. Like with grad school, I was kind of hoping to study abroad or like, at least be able to go on some trips. And that didn't really happen because of the pandemic. But eventually, like it'll happen. And that's definitely going to influence what I'm going to be painting or what I'm inspired by. And so it's exciting to think about that happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. And obviously as we're, you know, getting wrapped up, you know, maybe just remind everybody the best places to check out your work and and to see more of it and to know your day by day, I guess, you know, like again, obviously I'm alluding to Instagram. It makes everybody feel Mm -hmm. like a stalker now, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Instagram is definitely the best way to see what I'm doing. I think my, my handle is like at Hannah Lindo art. And then I do have a website that I just finally got together. It's also hannahlindoart.com that you can check out. Awesome. And again, it'll be, like I said, very exciting to to check that out and to stay up to date and especially to see all these paintings up for your thesis. So again, thanks so much for yeah. taking the time for applying to the uh, competition. Again, yeah. always exciting when, you know, the, the juror sends things off. But again, Kendra did a, a really great job. So again, I'm excited that she uh, picked your work. And again, thanks so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks once again to Hannah for joining me. Check out her website, Hannah Lindo Art. And of course, be sure to follow her on Instagram at Hannah Lindo Art. And that way you'll find out all about her MFA exhibition this April and check out her work there. So be sure to follow, say hello, especially give her a shout out if you enjoyed today's episode and really enjoyed learning about her work. 
Just a reminder, we've got plenty of other interviews that you can check out on studiobreak.com. Each of our posts there have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and you can find out all about them. You can listen to their interviews right there using the default player, or just click those links and subscribe to the podcast. And that way, you've always got something to keep your mind active and excited about creating while you're working away at making your own work in the studio. So be sure to check out those archived interviews. The catalog goes way back, but some recent highlights include Eva Gabriella Flynn for episode 275. We talked with Rupert Hartley from the UK for episode 274, Charbonneau Hamza for 273, and the list goes on and on. So once again, check it out at studiobreak.com or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. If you're looking to earn some extra karma points, please leave a review for the podcast. And of course, give a shout out. Let the artists know that you enjoyed their episode, learning about their work. It's always great to hear from listeners. An easy way to stay up to date with new episodes of the podcast is to follow us on social media. So be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter once again at Studio Break. And of course, be sure to follow and say hello on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Music for today's episode is by Golden Shadow. You can follow us at Golden Shadow Band on Instagram. And once again, that's Ben Cohan on drums, Brett Beery on bass, and myself on guitar. You can check out Ben's paintings by following him on Instagram. That's at mbencohanstudio. And of course, if you want some music to listen to, follow Brett Beery. That's at Brett Beery on Instagram. There's a link there with a number of albums that are available on Bandcamp. So that way you've always got some music to listen to while you're working away in the studio. If you want to see some of my paintings, head on over to davidlinaway.com. You can check out work there. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, at David Linaway. And, of course, I love hearing from listeners, so if you want to, give a shout-out. It's great hearing from you. Hope that you are enjoying the podcasts that are coming out. And, of course, that you have a great weekend, a productive weekend in the studio, making work, staying productive, staying positive. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.